What we've got here is failure to communicate. Freedom. Freedom? Well, sign away my freedom. Why, this is ridiculous. Don't be corny, brother. <laughs> sure, our system of free enterprise isn't perfect. But before we throw it away for some imported double talk, let's turn the clock back a few years to see what it's done for us. With your host, Mike Paul. Okay, so my wife is a big fan of The Bachelor. You know, she watches like all the seasons and everything. It's kind of a guilty pleasure, but I don't know if she feels guilty about it. But anyway, (laughs) there was this girl that was on the show. I think it was four or five years ago. That is since she's a psychologist and she she was on the show five years ago and she became like an Instagram celebrity. I don't know. She's not huge, but I think her following is like 300,000 people, something like that. And she is a complete social justice warrior, right? I mean, she's like to the extreme talking about how we live in a white supremacist culture and, you know, complaining about microaggressions. Like she's a caricature of an SJW. So anyway, over the last couple days, somebody went through her Twitter and they scrolled all the way back to like 2011 and they found all of these really fucked up um, tweets that she had from when she was younger and not even that young. I think she graduated. Well, let's see. She graduated from graduate school in 2015, I think. Uh, So she's probably like 30. I don't know. Yeah. Somebody about our age. Yeah. Right. Right. So she's a hardcore social justice warrior. And you have to hear some of the uh, some of the tweets. I'm just going to pull up a couple to reference them. And I mean, don't feel bad for this girl. She is a horrible, horrible person that like the the host of The Bachelor, just this quick tangent. There was this girl that was on The Bachelor or maybe a bachelorette. I don't know. And she attended a party when she was in college that was like an antebellum themed party, which is just they dress up like Southern Bells or something like that. Seems pretty fruity, but you know, whatever. Anyway, she got canceled just for going to a Southern theme party because obviously it implies slavery and racism and the KKK. So then people, she got canceled, like poof, gone. And then the host of the bachelor who's been there for like 15 years defended her and said, well, guys, I don't know if this is really that big of a deal. I mean, it was a party and she was young and it was like, there's nothing overtly like you know, racist about this. I forgot exactly what he said. And now they're pushing for the host to be canceled. The guy who's been the host forever, uh, for simply defending a girl for doing something that's not even racist. And this girl was leading the charge. She was saying like, you know, Chris, whatever his name is, needs to be gone and, and canceled off the show for doing this. And it's not an excuse to say that, well, I didn't know better back then or things were different back then because those things were still hurtful back then, even if you didn't know about it. Okay. So now with that context of the story, some of the things she has said in 2011, she said, Indian guys, please shower before hitting the club or coming air coming anywhere near me. Hashtag thanks. And then she said, like, do they make it mandatory that working at subway, you have to be Indian Jesus. She goes, embracing our inner Indian in the TP with a picture. And she goes, all of your tweets are faggoty and gay. Hashtag I hate you. Uh, Cold stone population, fat Asians, fat white people, Jews, and skinny black people. Hashtag. Hmm. Um, okay. So there's all this stuff going on. There's a couple of really good ones. Uh, 
yelling shut the fuck up to loud ass black people in the lounge this girl's half black too and she likes to pull that card whenever she whenever she can um and then she's a psychologist and she's told she said something like uh suicide should be offered as a treatment for for depression or something like that uh for certain people um talking about throwing her sandwich at midgets i mean she's she's said some horrible stuff that would today be instant gone and this is the best part. So people are, she's lost like 50,000 followers in 24 hours. People are coming at her, just obviously calling her a hypocrite and all this stuff. And her defense to this has been my favorite thing I've ever seen. First of all, it's just great that, you know, the, this, you know, level of projection is public for everybody to see that she's being taken down for uh, racism when she is leading the charge of canceling people for shit that happened 15 years ago. That's not even that bad. She's the number one person. She rails against microaggressions and all this shit. So her defense, she posted like a half hour long video and she was tweeting yesterday and she goes, first of all, I want everybody to know that my tweets are not, or my, my apologies are not for white people. And it's like, what lady, what white people were asking you for an apology for them? That like, you're just fabricating a thing. Like nobody asked for that. And her official defense, she had a long video today and here's the gist. It's okay that she did it because why it happened is because she grew up in a white supremacist culture and it was her white part, her white half that hated her black half so much that she had internalized this hatred and racism and that's why she acted out and called people hurtful things because, because her culture that she grew up in was just so hate filled and white supremacist that it infected her and it pitted her against herself. And it wasn't until five years ago that she started, she calls it her work. She calls like being an SJW on Instagram, her work. And she also said that uh, it wasn't until five years ago that she stopped hating herself and embraced her, her it's like, it's a new word. Cause they come up with new words all the time that she calls it B I P O C, which I don't know what that means, but it's like person of color, something maybe like it means if you're like mixed race, I have no idea because they make new words all the time. Once people realize that a certain word is bullshit, there's a new word. Boom. We got the new word and we're on to the next thing. Um, so that's the reason she's, she said all those horrible things because she grew up in a white supremacist culture and she was taught to hate herself. And it was her white half that was being racist to people. That's, I don't even know what to say. I mean, <laughs> I, what, what is going on? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's I mean, glorious. It's, it's kind of glorious. Yeah. Glorious is a good word for how it backfired on her, but that's like the old saying, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Like if you're going to play this game, we're going to go back and try to, destroy people's livelihood for things they said that didn't hurt like they're not violent crimes or anything they're just politically incorrect statements um i mean yeah i mean everyone's going to be guilty of something if you keep moving the goalposts so far where it's like everyone has to be a saint Uh, oh yeah and and the best part is um you know in, in the midst of all of this her defenses have just been hilarious. Like the, first of all, the clarifying that I'm not apologizing to white people when nobody was asking for it. And then what was the other thing that was like my favorite? So many parts of the story are my favorite. So it's, it's easy to lose track of them. Um, but yeah, this is, this is just classic projection and it is just getting your comeuppance. And uh, she said that the, the one host she, that he could find another job. It was no big deal. Um, Oh, and she, she would say she was just a deranged person. The fact that she's a psychologist, she said that, uh, 
like she posts about her vagina nonstop. And she says that she's so distraught over racism in this country that she has to masturbate to fall asleep every night. Just weird shit. Just weird. Whenever I'm feeling stressed what? out, I mean, that's, that doesn't make her any different than any other 15 year old straight male in this or, or gay for that matter. <laughs> yeah. Does, any, any pubescent male does the same damn thing. Yeah. Like <laughs> exactly. Only, I mean, if you're, if you're actually that distraught over things that are out of your control in the world, like you need to do meditation, you need to see a psychologist, you know, but she is one, so she can't do that. And it's all about just virtual signaling. Like if you truly felt about that, like it wouldn't be trying to just get followers and try to make yourself like a, uh, like a leader of this movement, you know, it'd be like, I don't know. It's just so hard to watch these people like try to act like they're victims, especially when she's a person of color who is at extremely high status, like in this country, like nothing held her back to get where she was. Clearly there was no like, you know, uh, system trying to tear down her celebrity until she did it to herself and made her own ideology eat her alive. But, um, eventually it's going to come for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. These people like they're sitting there cheering this on as people get canceled, but eventually it's coming for them. Yeah. And when you view everything in the world through the lens of collectivism and racism, and you're looking for white supremacy, it's like their foundation for how they see the world is they've never considered that their foundation is wrong. Right. So it's like, if the foundation's wrong, then every single thing you're going off of in that foundation is in question and they can't like, it's a given it is it's the basis for their entire worldview that we currently live in a white supremacist culture. And if you challenge that or, and and you have to challenge, like, you know, you just must accept that institutional racism is pervasive and it's everywhere. And if you even question, if you say like, Hey, well, let's look at specifics and take this as a case by case basis, uh, their entire world falls apart. And I, I actually, this is kind of funny and we'll move on to the real meat of the episode in a second, but I wanted to say this. I, I like to, uh, I'm in a couple like me- different meme groups on Facebook just for shit posting, right? And there's this one that's a Marvel page and you guys can laugh at me, whatever. But anyway, um, somebody had uh, a meme of the Coca-Cola thing where it's like, uh, you know, Coca-Cola says st- or start being less white. And then it was Loki from the Avengers saying like, yes, that's how it feels. And I commented, I'm like, yeah, because we remember all the times in recent history that mega corporations had be less insert race here campaigns. <laughs> and there's this, uh, this over the top again, caricature of a social justice warrior that commented and started telling me about like, well, you know, like it's everywhere, you know, that black people have been fired for refusing to cut their dreadlocks from employers. And I go, okay. Um, can I show you examples of white people being fired? for not cutting their mullet or whatever long hair. And she just, she, she would go ape shit on me and she went, um, moderators, is it okay in this group? Is it, how is it not against rules to question the, the, uh, existence of, of systemic racism? And she just started going off the handle at me for just, and I was being completely respectful. This was a trans person too. So I was nerfing everything I was saying and doing it very, <laughs> like a statesman, like Jordan Peterson. I was like, well, actually, we have to look at this as a case-by-case basis because if you don't, you're just lost in chaos. And it's like, oh, well, I'm a trans person. Well, I'm a gay person. And it's like, okay, but that's not getting to the root of your problems. You know, and uh, being very cordial and 
just ape shit. So these people are not well adjusted. They're yeah. You know, the, the thing that's like most infuriating about this whole identity politics thing is that it's so inherently racist in itself that you box everyone into categories of race. It's like you you put everyone in groups now. So now you, you're basically asserting that all black people think the same. And, and it's divided Asians... Exactly. Where it's like, I, I don't know, like in my anecdotal experience in my life, like I travel all around. I, I interact with people of all different races and, and religious beliefs, <clears throat> both genders. Um, and uh, How dare you? <laughs> but, it's ma'am. <laughs> um, but I, I, what I'm saying is like, I, I get, I find common ground with anybody. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to be like, I don't see color. It's just like, it's just not really relevant to the conversation. Like no, usually it's the I, least interesting yeah, like, I, part like, of a person. Like I, I there's, uh, you know, there's a, a, a black guy that I know that, um, I kind of a work associate that I interact with pretty often. And we both have sons the same age. And every time I see him, it's just like, we talk about, you know, Oh, how, how's your boy doing? Cause like the same age. And we, we compare notes of how our kids are developing and we've been doing it for three years. And that's, that's what we always talk about. I look forward to it every month. As a matter of fact, like, Oh, look at you're white and or I'm white and you're black and we're getting along. Isn't this so progressive? It's like, no, he's just, he's just a cool dude. Like, I don't really, I don't get this whole thing where we have to like box people into categories. Right. And it's also this thing where they want to insist that they get to speak for every like racial minority or ethnic minority or religious, whatever, what have you. They act like, you know, you don't get to speak for anybody else. Um, and they think that they can speak like a white self-loathing SJW can speak for all white people. Like on behalf of my race, I apologize for this. And, you know, they think that they can also, they, they want to act like every single black person agrees on, on every little thing that they're pushing, whatever the latest issue is. And again, in my experience, like all of my black friends, they don't just want to talk about race all the time, like ever, you know what I mean? It's like, no, I want to train. I want to show you a video or like work on this move or, or whatever. It's like, it's the furthest thing from, from any conversation. It's like, if you, if you actually care about like not living in a world with racism in it, you just have to fucking move on and just live your life and just treat people with respect. And right. it's literally that simple. Just be the change you want to see in the world. And they're incapable of that line of thinking. They need some sort of policy that they can plant their flag in and say, we change things. Dude, I mean, we grew up, we grew up in the nineties. Like it was <laughs> how many role models were like, I mean, black athletes. Like Walter Payton was my hero my entire childhood. I never thought the fact that he was black or white. He was just like the best football player ever. I never was like, my parents were like, you can't like him. He's he's a, he's an African-American. Like, that didn't exist. Like, I was a little white kid in northern Illinois and it was like, that guy is awesome. Like, he's a sports hero, you know? And then like, all the rappers and celebrities, like, that's all everyone in the 90s in this generation and on has like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't see it. I don't, I, obviously it's being used as a dividing conquer tool, like Tyler said, but I maintain, I maintain my theory that uh, suburban white women are the biggest threat to freedom in this country. Yes. I could college educated too. Yeah. I, I maintain that they're the biggest threat out there because yeah. it's all, it's all feels over reels. Yeah, no, it's 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 exactly what it is. It's it's all just emotion based argument. But anyways, this conversation has made me very hungry. Tyler. Oh, that's a transition there. <laughs> that's my corny <laughs> segue into today's uh, meaty topic. Um, so Tyler has done some research um, about what government's uh, done to our food, or, or made us believe about food, or well, why don't you take it, Tyler? Because you've done all the research. So yeah, I uh, 
I kind of titled my research food and the way your government is slowly killing you. Um, I, I began, so this is kind of something that I've grown more and more interested in as I've gotten older. And, you know, it kind of hits close to home to me. I had a, a relative just pass away to colon cancer recently. And, you know, I, I, I'm not saying it was related to diet, but I'm sure that it was a factor, um, you know, and, and I want to preface some of this stuff that we go over, like just saying that I'm, I'm not a food expert, nutritionist. I'm not even a total fitness freak. Yeah, sure. I like to work out, but, you know, not I'm not insane about it. I'm, I'm not a vegan. I don't do CrossFit. I would tell you if I did, um, <laughs> you know, just a, a, a normal dude who likes some some good food. I like comfort foods. You know, pizza's good. Everyone likes pizza. Um, but I've also grown more aware of just how much junk is really filling the shelves at your local grocery store. Um, you know, so it's about finding a happy medium with a lot of this stuff. You know, I like to be a total fat kid sometimes and a total health nut others. So uh, I broke the the research down, like some of the things we're going to talk about today into like three categories. The first being kind of like a history of the farming subsidies and government's role in agriculture. Um, and also its role in making us fat, sick, and unhappy. Um, and then I also included some statistics uh, based on the American diet. And then lastly, what we can do to combat it. So I'm going to implore the listeners that if you enjoy some of this research we did, um, definitely check out ammo.com's food is freedom article. And they did a related podcast to it. They knocked it out of the park. They did far better than I'm about to do with my trim down overview. Um, and then also Hannah Cox, her podcast based, uh, did a, one on big ag that was pretty good as well. Um, a little bit more organized than what I put together, but I, I hit some of the the high hitters. Can I ask why ammo.com is uh, so into it? I It blew my mind when I, I randomly stumbled <laughs> upon it while searching for uh, for some more information on farming subsidies. And they, they did like a, a top shelf breakdown of farming subsidies. And like they, they call, you know, they call theirs food is freedom. And the more I read and the more I learn, I wholeheartedly believe it. Um, so it, it, yeah, they, they did an incredible breakdown, I guess, you know, the gun community, generally speaking, I mean, you get some FUDs in there, sure. But generally speaking, they, they're pretty big on freedom. So I guess, you know, once, once you start to look into government's role in, in food, you start to be like, what the hell? Like it. It's mind blowing, but uh, to, I guess to, to kick things off, um, currently the farming subsidies in the United States are the most expensive subsidy that the vampires in DC dole out. Uh, they spend roughly $20 billion annually on subsidies. And that's not including ethanol, which is corn is heavily subsidized. So. That $20 billion, I, from what I read, almost doubles when you include ethanol. Um, so approximately 39% of all farms receive some sort of subsidy. And just to put things in perspective, the oil industry gets about $4.6 billion annually. So, and housing gets under 15. So with that, 
you can, you know, all, how many people do you know, like say how awful big oil is, right? And they, they just, they rail on it nonstop, but they're getting one fifth of what big ag is getting. So, and most of this money is obviously going to corporate farms, you know, that keep the cows locked in small cages. Chickens don't get to move. They don't get to, you know, have free range over the land. You know, this isn't going to like, you know, we all grew up in the Midwest. This isn't going to your local farmers, you know, your local dairy farmer that's out there making a living. This is going to scumbags like Monsanto, which you could do damn near an entire five episodes on Monsanto and all the bullshit they've done or like Tyson foods. You know, I'm sure you guys have all seen the YouTube videos of how Tyson contract, they contract out their farms and they just keep those chickens locked up. And it's like the most miserable, they pump them full of antibiotics and all this other stuff to make them fat. And then they just lay eggs until they get too fat and then they butcher them. Um, I mean, it results in these subsidies result in cheap, you know, cheap food. That's how you get your 99 cent uh, hamburgers and stuff at McDonald's. But ultimately it's, it's not for the best. Um, you could kind of, you could definitely make the argument that farming subsidies wouldn't even be necessary, especially in modern America with modern farming equipment. Um, you know, we have, we have a plethora of skilled labor in this country that are more than capable of farming. And really the United States is, we have some of the best farmland in the world and we have a ton of it. I mean, just in the Midwest alone, look what we have, but we can grow stuff in almost every part of the country. So, you know, the, these are not, this is all just, it's cronyism. It's big government that's been in bed with agriculture for so long that it's, it's just a parasitic system. You know, yeah. We, and, and you know, it's, it's odd. Cause I don't, if people listening aren't from the Midwest, like we are, we're so numb to it, but it, it is, and I often think when I'm driving out in the country around here, like how many just like thousands and thousands of miles of just cornfield where it's like, what did this look like before? Like this got all turned into farmland. Like we just accept this, but it's all because subsidies is why there's so much corn. Like when you subsidize something, you get more of it. Yeah. And it's just, we're so numb to it though. Like we're just, we, we're frogs in a boil in pot here. Yeah. Cause it's like you and I both grew up in the Midwest, little farm towns. Like everyone had a, you know, half the kids in our school were farm families. Like it was just widely accepted. Then you just stop and like look around, like, man, like this probably all used to be wooded at one point, and now it's everything's cornfields everywhere. Yeah, and the other piece of that is on the flip side of the corn subsidies is soy. Like on the other end of that, because I'm not a farming expert, but like Mike just said, we grew up in you know, farm central USA, and you can't grow the same crop on the same piece of land two years in a row because you need to something regarding the soil. Again, I'm not an expert that, but that is correct. So it's like, okay, when you have all this corn, then you have to alternate. So you need something else to plant. And the other crop of choice is soy. So it's on the other end. I don't know if soy directly is subsidized, but if the farm itself is getting subsidized, I, I, it, believe, it follows that I they believe soy is also mm -hmm. subsidized. So so soy is are, in everything. Right. So two and, things that are horrendous for your body. Oh, soy is especially like males. Like they, there's been some research done and I, I mean, I'd have to do a deep dive into this. It could be some pseudoscience. So I apologize if I'm repeating some bullshit here, but uh, it's soy. They, I think they've shown links between lowering testosterone levels and soy intake. Yeah. Hence, hence the term happening. soy boy. 
So, boy. <laughs> so, um, y- you know, we're also, with these subsidies, it, it's ignoring market forces. I think that most people are very aware of the obesity epidemic in this country. And these subsidies don't allow for these farmers to listen to market forces. You know, I mean, look at most of the restaurants you go to, there's like what five salads on a menu. And then there's like 20 of everything else. You know, they're, they're not listening to, if the market forces were truly allowed to work, these farmers would be incentivized to grow other, other types of produce that are better for people but there's so much money in growing cheap car, you know, carb heavy, very calorie dense grains. Um, I read a book called Sapiens and it basically spelled out, there was a section in the book about how they, they spelled out how we're like slaves to wheat. Once we realized how to grow wheat and how plentiful we could grow it and how easy you can grow it in so many different conditions, we just became slaves to it. And then the government of course only, enhanced that yeah and then going back to corn isn't that uh like the all our most of our beef is corn fed which is not natural you they can't right. it makes them fatter. Normally grass yeah and yeah so it makes them like fatter and they, they they grow faster um but once again like i've heard studies i'm not an expert on this but correct me if i'm wrong that like grass-fed beef which is like their natural diet is much health yeah it is yeah it's uh you know, because you, you get a lot of like the, there's a lot more nutrients in grass-fed beef and it's not as fatty. So the, it's less calorie dense, you know, you get, it's a leaner protein per pound than, than corn-fed yeah. beef would be. I always buy grass-fed and only because I, I think I heard on Rogan several times years ago that it was superior. And I, you know, like I said, we live in farmland. So a guy down the road grows uh, beef cattle and I just buy half a cow every year. That's the freezer. Yeah. And, you know, like as, as libertarians, like we should be well aware of how scummy these subsidies are in general. And obviously, as we've mentioned, they create a system of cronyism. They, they, they allow these big agricultural outfits to collaborate with government to shut out new competition and make it the barrier to entry just so high that like you and I couldn't start a farm and just try to compete with these guys. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, not, not on a large scale. And, you know, they also reduce innovation because they, the barrier to entry is too high and they, they want to shut down innovation. Like for example, like Monsanto, Monsanto, if you agree, if you enter in a contract, let's say you enter into a one year contract to grow Monsanto corn, you can only grow Monsanto corn. You cannot grow any other. And then the next year, if you're like, you know what, I'm done with these guys. I, their corn sucks or whatever. If they, if they, there's been cases where they found like a couple corn stalks of their type of their breed of corn, and they'll they'll sue you. They'll come after you. Like they will they will come after you for all your worth. Really? Because because you know how nature is. Birds start picking shit, and they go drop it and somewhere else and it grows you know that's that's just how nature works so they're they're literally defying the laws of nature and how ecosystems and plants reproduce and grow so yeah there's it's it's a very toxic system um and it's one of those things that it kind of uh you know it it kind of makes itself 
like it relies on itself eventually because like you mentioned the reason why mcdonald's cheeseburger is 99 cents is because all this these subsidies that bring the cost down and all mm-hmm. this hormones and shit they put in the beef to make it last and uh it, it, in turn all it does is make people less healthy so yeah you got cheap yeah. junk food now yeah like, it's just it's not good it's you're, you're eating garbage and but, let's play let's play devil's advocate for a second a lot of people would say, okay, but look how, how affordable this makes so much food. Even if it's not good for you, it's like, you know, poor people just need to eat too. So it's like, even if they can only get grass or sorry, you know, grain fed beef and all of these things, at least they're getting that or corn that gets in everything. And it's like, okay, well, first of all, they're eating tons of high fructose corn syrup and they're getting diabetes. So that's costing them a lot more money than I think they're saving in the short run with, you know, cheap produce. But the other thing is, okay, if they're not going to grow this overproduced corn and soy, they're going to use that land to plant other crops. So even though the price of corn or soy might be cheaper, maybe, you know, I'm not, again, not an ag expert, but maybe spinach or kale would be a lot cheaper if they were actually like, oh, look, kale is relatively expensive. Let's, you know, plant some of that. And then our margins are going to, you know, be great. And then as any other industry, you plant more of that supply goes up to meet demand and then the price comes down and it just kind of equalizes to the point where margins are pretty much the same for everything. Um, so yeah, I just, it's, it's something else to consider. Like, what would they say? Like, here's the benefit makes food more affordable, but you're ignoring the health side effects and you're ignoring the fact that other foods would be produced. Well, that's what it's transferring the cost from your grocery bill to your medical bills. Right. And that's what, that's what government always does is that they, you know, they, someone points out a problem, usually the left and they go, well, this is outrageous that, that, you know, uh, education or, you know, college tuition or healthcare is this much. And rather than seeing why this happened, um, there is always a government reason or regulation that caused it to inflate. Uh, they come in to save the day with their problem that they created. And it's like, we can't just like, it's incredible to me that people keep looking to government to solve their problems. Like, I, I, like show me a problem or, or an irregularity in markets and I'll show you a government regulation or red tape that's causing it. Like, yep. Every I mean, time. Every time. I mean, the, the education one is so ridiculous. Like just in, in 50 years, how like the hockey stick price of, of college um, and people just act like, oh, it's just greedy capitalists. It's just greed. There's people, they can just name their price yeah. now because they're playing Monopoly. And, and or just look at. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say another thing. Just look at Obamacare and it's like, oh, it, it insured a lot of people. It's like, okay, you're ignoring that premiums went up drastically and we now as a country spend a lot more on healthcare and insurance companies are making more money under Obamacare than they were before. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I was going to say to actually tie right into that is that after the government subsidies and government inter- intervention in agriculture, after they've made you sick, fat and unhappy, then government's other buddy, Big Pharma, gets to step in and sell you the cure. Mm. How about it, that? When you say it like that, it just it sounds like there's some shadowy figure has drawn out this whole master plan to, to make us fat and complacent. But I think it's more just kind of just an organic, uh, you know, good intentions, uh, you know, are the path or pay the roads to hell type mm. thing. Where it's like they keep trying to like, oh, we can fix this by regulating it here and, and do this by by putting it in this law and do this and that. And all of a sudden you've meandered so far off the straight and narrow course that we're off into this land where, yeah, we have, you know, eight year old kids with diabetes and, and overweight and riding the scooters and Walmart and shit where it's like, this has never happened in history. We never had, yeah, we used to ride the path. scooters for fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now they're doing it cause it's essential. Yeah. And it's, 
I, I, I touch in, I touch on that a little bit later on, you know, about the childhood obesity rate and it's, it's astounding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's to, to kind of keep us moving here, the, um, there's obviously, there's been a long history of farming subsidies in the United States, actually predating, uh, that scumbag Abraham Lincoln. Um, but I really, I didn't want to dig too deep into that far back. I wanted to start with the root of all modern problems and evils in the United States. Everyone, every libertarian's top three worst president, probably number one, FDR. So this all comes back to the New Deal, where F, any I've made it no secret my disdain for FDR. Um, I'm sick of the way he's he's put on a pedestal like he's some kind of hero. But uh, he really ramped up government intervention into these uh, the different market sectors, and he, he was basically a fascist. Um, he was very high. He received high praise from Nazi Germany all the way up until the moment he declared war on them. Um, but what he did in ag agriculture to just transform it into this monster we know today, he uh, included price supports for commodities regulation on the supply of farm commodities, barriers to prevent importation of farm commodities, and crop insurance programs, which, okay, you think, yeah, crop insurance, if there's a drought or, you know, some type of disease, okay, but it gets worse. So these programs, while modified and greatly expanded, form the basis of the current federal farm policy. There's no other way to describe this other than central planning. Um, FDR did such a good job of central planning, he'd make Stalin blush. So it started in 1933 uh, with the Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1933, which basically paid farmers to not plant crops. Now, tell me in what world does it make sense, considering what was going on with the Great Depression, that you would pay farmers to not plant crops? Mm-hmm. So this was eventually taken to court um, and it's deemed unconstitutional, but have no fear. Big government is not done. So the first, the first replacement to this legislation was the Soil Conservation and Domestic Allotment Act of 1936. This paid farmers to plant fewer crops on the basis that it was preventing topsoil erosion, which I'm pretty sure we heard about, you know, to the in high school, which it is a real thing, sure. So is this is this response to the Dust Bowl? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because there's major droughts, and that's where that all this crop insurance like they didn't the, rotate their crops. Yeah, so they, that's right. They lose soil with the winds yep. in the Great Plains. Yeah. So, a more straightforward replacement, the Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1938, preserved many of the earlier provisions of its earlier 1933 cousin. And it was passed at a time when the Supreme Court was more amenable to the wishes of, of FDR. Um, and guess what he did? That's right. He, this is going to sound all too familiar to anyone who's up to date on current events. He threatened to pack the court with up to 15 judges. <laughs> Where have we heard huh. that before? Well, at least he's coming out and saying it, you know, unlike the current administration. No, no, no. Yeah, what we'll do yeah. is we'll, we'll bring it, you know, in some constitutional scholars and let him, you know, let him figure yeah, it it's, out. It's, it's only fair. You guys are asking me all about this, and it's not something that we're not commenting on this tonight. We're going to talk about Donald Trump. Tyler, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, so finish. But there is something I, I do want to 
touch on with FDR if you don't get to it uh, before you transition off of him. So go ahead. Burning um, crops. Yeah. So this, I, I'm almost, I'm almost done with this segment. So basically he was a fascist with a smile ruling with an iron fist. Um, the, and the country was desperate. So he got away with all this. Um, the new version of the agricultural adjustment act mandated price controls or price supports for broad sections of agriculture. And really that, that got the dumpster fire started. So, and what's even more sad is that the government continued to pay farmers to not plant crops, I think up until the nineties. Mm-hmm. So this, this precedent that he set lasted for decades. Okay. So while we're on FDR, this sort of, is a great segue into it. I was watching a documentary uh, about the, the Dust Bowl. Um, it's like a four part series on, on Amazon. I don't know if it's like a PBS publication. It, it was probably from early 2000s or late nineties, I think. But it was very interesting, and they interviewed people who were like children back then, talking about how horrific it was. But do you remember when Obama did cash for clunkers? So what they yeah. did give you forty five hundred dollars credit to get rid of a, a car that was more than twenty years old, perfectly good cars, and then they which would... inflated the used car market. Well, yeah, because once again, it's not like they went, "Hey, here's a you know, let's give these cars to poor people, or let's part them out to uh, you know shops and give them you know used car parts and help that market." No, they literally poured silica sand into the crankcases of these engines, turned them on, and seized the motors up to process them. So you couldn't use the motors. It was just, uh. it's just government shit. So they did the exact same thing. FDR did the exact same thing Obama did with cash for clunkers with cattle during the Dust Bowl. So the cattle, they, they couldn't sell like during the Dust Bowl because they couldn't transport them or anything. I think a lot of them were, were wandering off and like the barbed wire fence were getting covered with sand. They were wandering off. So these uh, farmers were losing, uh, sorry, losing their livelihood. So, you know, all their cattle were wandering off or they couldn't be sold. They were going to die. Um, so what does government do rather than like, you know, helping, you know, clear out the roads or, or let them ship the cattle out, they subsidized them and bought their cattle. But what they did is they came to their property, dug a trench, walked the cattle in there and shot them all. Like they were interviewing a kid that, uh, he's watching it. He's, he was, he was, he's not, well, obviously not a kid anymore. He's an old man during the documentary and he's crying. Like when he's like in his late seventies saying like, he, he, you know, these were, he loved these cows. They were like, they were, you know, they raised them, they fed them every day and they'd like walk them all down there. These perfectly healthy cows and watch government employees shoot them all in a pit. Like, you yeah, know, you a starving country. Did, this also forced a lot of farmers during the great depression, new deal era, uh, they basically walked away from their farms and moved to cities. Mm-hmm. So that this government intervention also further consolidated and downsized the scope of agriculture so that you only had, uh, you, you reduced the amount of farms and now it's like consolidated into big corporate farms. It, and yeah, so they they basically, he did a Stalinist purge, but on cows. Yeah. It's absolutely. And it was all to keep the prices artificially high. What kind of blew me away was that like, oh, so like the left hasn't just like lost their mind and come up with new stuff. It's, they're just retreading the same old ideas they've always had. Like, yeah, hey. well, that, that's the, uh, in economics in one lesson, Henry Hazlitt has that quote, which I don't have in front of me right now, but he's like, people need to understand that what are thought of as new, fresh and bold ideas are not novel ideas at all, but they're simply rehashments of old, terrible ideas that, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he's saying. But right. yeah, to people that think that like the left has gone so far left and they've never been this left before. FDR was a commie. 
Okay. I mean, he was, he was, that is, it's, I mean, the actual definition of fascism, right? Yeah. It was the government commandeering private business and telling them exactly what to do and where to march. And there is Which no it, market force at work. The irony that he is like the like religious figure of uh, the democratic socialists, like they think he's like, you know, their messiah. Well, it makes, it makes sense know, for them. It makes sense for them to deify but, him, but, but it doesn't make sense for regular Democrats that are like center left. Right. And, but and they, you know, if you guys like, not you guys, but you know, if people think that they won't put cows in trenches and shoot them again over global warming, right? I wouldn't put it past them because like, you know, they're already talking the cows, it's the methane. The only way we got to stop global warming is to kill the cows, eat your lab grown meat, eat bugs. Oh, I think it's minus 500 odds that that will happen in the next 20 years. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, all the small dairy farmers that listen to this, hopefully you got your double barrel shotguns with three, three. Dude, I'm going to take, I'm going to take little calves. I'm going to take little calves and I'm going to stow them away in my attic. And then when the Gestapo comes and knocks on my door, it's going to be like that South Park episode from way back in the day. Yeah. Fun with meal. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> trying to keep them quiet up there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. It's, so, yeah. it's um, you know, the, these subsidies, they're people, these, these are your tax dollars at work. Your, your tax dollars are going to slowly poison you, your children and your relatives. Like, and, and, and all while a select few politicians make a quick buck off this you know how many i i saw a stat and i i can't remember it but it was it was an astounding number of politicians that are getting big ag lobbying money flowing right right into their pockets like it's disgusting um you know and and this so fdr really laid the the real foundation for the scumbaggery that's going going on um and these ramped up even more during the Nixon and Ford administrations with uh, Earl Butts, who was portrayed in a documentary called The King of Corn. So, and Ammo.com knocked it out of the park on Earl Butts as well. Where they, he, So he was the secretary of ag during those years, and he was the one who pioneered the fundamental change in farming subsidies. No longer would farmers be paid to take fields out of production here or there. Instead, they'd be paid for producing absolutely insane amounts of corn. He was the man who coined the term, get big or get out. He also (laughs) urged farmers to use every available square inch of land to plant from fence post to fence post. This change in policy had a dramatic impact on the world of American agriculture. Once again, small family farms were crushed. And big, big ag became the normal rather than the exception. So this increased corn production combined with the high prices of sugar, which we'll touch on the sugar lobby in a second, led to the creation of that godforsaken product that you guys mentioned earlier, high fructose corn syrup. So if we fast forward a few days, unless you guys have something, or fast forward a few years, unless you guys have something to add on the King of Corn. Keep going. We'll get um, to something I know you guys have stuff to say. Well, real quick, this this whole thing, uh, you know, our friend of the show, Pete Canona, has posted this meme today that is perfectly describing what we're talking about. And it was a guy holding a sign, 
that says I'm not into conspiracy theories. I'm into wake the fuck up. It's so fucking obvious theories. And that is like, when you talk about the corn lobby, it's like they get billions in subsidies and all they have to do is throw some crumbs, relatively speaking to individual politicians campaigns. And they're going to keep voting for these subsidies. I mean, it's a, it's a self licking ice cream cone. And nobody's, and nobody's aware of it. Cause we're, like I said, we grew up where it's just the norm that it's like, Everyone in high school had a like was a farm kid. Like everyone has just got, uh, you right. know, cornfields in you know hundreds of acres. But and can we also just before we like this is not to shit on the profession of farming. Obviously, no, not we, we need farming right. exactly. I have the so expe- respect for for farming exactly. And it's like the same thing when you talk about uh, the corruption in the Pentagon and the the fraud of all of our wars that we're involved in. A lot of people will try to say like, oh, you're you're condemning, you're talking about our soldiers or our troops overseas. And it's like, no, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the fucking monsters that are lying them into laying down their lives. That's who we're talking yeah. about. We're talking yeah, about exactly. the people that are perverting the farming industry. Yeah, and thanks for I, clarifying that. Because I feel like to us, yeah. us three, we know each other well enough that that's all understood. But yeah, I don't want yeah. it to be out of context to our listeners. Like, and yeah, I'll tell you what, it's, it's hard work. I, yeah. I helped out like for a few days. I helped a, a friend of mine's dad out on his farm, and I was like, "God damn, I'm gonna go back to scooping ice cream." This shit's oh, hard. Man, I, we, we, grew up, <laughs> we grew up next to a guy who had horses, and he hired us when I was like ten, you know, to bale hay. And I just not, I didn't have any money, so I couldn't wait to go do some side work. And we bust our ass all day, and it was like that Napoleon Dynamite scene at the end. It was like we got like a dollar an hour. Like, like I was just not such even a joking. They don't yeah, take vacations. Mom. Nothing like. It's it's a hard 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 job. Yeah, and our and mom expensive. actually subsidized. <laughs> our mom <laughs> subsidized the friends that came <laughs> over because they felt so fucked. My mom's like, "I'm gonna give you guys each extra fifty bucks." Yeah. Like that's she, she didn't ask, but our friends that came out to help. Like, yeah, she felt so bad that our neighbor screwed and that my mom subsidized our next door farm. <laughs> She's the OG government. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then, if we fast forward. Uh, a couple decades we're gonna get to what's uh, near and dear to our parents and us mo- older millennials anyway near and dear to our hearts the infamous food pyramid so you know the the one that was like outed as the end all be all of healthy eating if you eat if you stay in the food pyramid you're good as gold you're gonna look like you're gonna look like the governor just eat lots and lots of bread. So, yeah, you know, this is the same, yeah, same food pyramid that basically said you could eat five sandwiches a day as long as you ate an orange and drank a glass of juice in there somewhere. You're good. <laughs> the juice so, kills me. They're, you know, they're, what people don't realize is that the, the this also ties in Rothbard when his, his theory on uh, science, the scientists, you know, because they could never be corrupted, right? Except... They, they were in multiple instances throughout history. When it comes to this, they were corrupted. So there was a researcher at Harvard that was quoted basically saying like, do you understand the amount of money that's involved with this about creating these government guide, guidelines for healthy eating? Like there's a lot of cash at stake and a lot of researchers get paid a lot of money to spew some straight pseudoscience. Like they knew the government knew carbohydrates were bad for you in the in the seventies. They knew it in the eighties, but there was so much money involved. They just turned a blind eye and they said, Yeah, you know what? Eat six eat six uh six years of corn. It's fine. 
It's good. For it was, it's fat. That's the bad guy. Stay away from avocados. Right. <laughs> right. And you know, so just, just remember that, that there, remember when the idiots tell you to trust the science that people trusted government science with the food pyramid and all they got was a big ass gut and type two diabetes. That's and it. Bitch tits. Yeah. So that's going to conclude my, my first section on the, the food pyramid, some subsidies. And if you guys are cool, we'll move on to the shittiest poison there is sugar. Sugar. So this, this was, uh, the sugar industry is, is insane. Um, we keep the prices artificially high in the United States. Like I think our sugar is, is it sugar import or some price related to sugar is the, like one of the highest in the world. And like we can produce endless amounts of it if we wanted to, but it's all cronyism once again. So I'll start with uh, the University of California's Robert Lustig. Uh, he's a top researcher in, in the food nutrition field. Uh, claim that sugar is addictive, just like, for example, cocaine. They could have put cocaine in food, but that's illegal. They could have put heroin in food, but that's illegal. They do put caffeine in food because, well, that's not illegal. And they put sugar in food because it's not illegal. They know what they're doing, and they get us started on sugar when we're very young. Uh, I believe I read a statistic that the average American is addicted to sugar by the age of two. Um, so like I say, you know, it's, it's like big tobacco, except they don't get all the bad press. So they, you know, they get you started when you're young. And if you don't, like if anyone's doubting this, uh, look at any kid's cereal. You know, they, they literally have to fortify it with vitamins because without the fortification of vitamins, it's, it's just a carb heavy dessert. Mm-hmm. You know, I yep. mean, don't get me wrong. Like Reese's puffs, they may look like dog food, but they're delicious. So, I mean, I get it. I get why kids are like, yeah, I want like six bowls of that. Eat yeah, until well, your mouth is raw. While we're on the subject, I, it's kind of funny you mentioned this because I've, I've had the same conversation with my wife um, over the last couple of years, just because our, our kids are, you know, getting to toddler age and, you know, they've been exposed to sweets and, um, you know, they, they're getting hooked on it where it's like, wow, why would I, why would I ever have a vegetable when I could have this all the time? You know, right. they don't know the difference. Cause like, I just want to eat this all day. Cover my and, broccoli and sugar. And we, you know, we're pretty, you know, I love cooking. We, we do, we home cook meals every day. We don't eat much junk or anything out of a box really, but it's hard with toddlers, you know, especially once they've been exposed to it. Like, you know, you're not going to fight them all the time. So in moderation, they, they get the junk shit. Um, but yeah, like particularly we're talking about like pop tarts and cinnamon rolls, and how somehow we as a society have accepted the fact that these are breakfast foods. Like right. a pop tart is a, like if you made that from scratch and made a pastry with like a strawberry filling inside of it and then frosted it on top with sprinkles, like, would you get that done and be like, ah, that'd be a great way to start the day. That's some breakfast right there. No, that's a freaking dessert. Like that yeah, is, yeah. It's, it's outrageous that we even look at this like, oh, I just have a pop tart for breakfast. And oh, meanwhile, I'm telling tart. you how bad eggs are for you. Well, toast goes in the toaster, and so does a pop tart. So they're both the same, you know. Like yeah, well, breakfast foods. I, I remember I watched Jerry Seinfeld's stand up that he released. It was two or three years ago, maybe. He had a Netflix special, and he hasn't been active in stand up comedy, if I remember this correctly. 
And I'm like, okay, whatever, I'll watch it. And he had one bit, which is just classic Jerry Seinfeld. It was just observational. And he's like, it's like back when I was a kid, he's like, the cereals were all dessert for breakfast. He's like, oh, do you want Apple Jacks or all this stuff? Sorry, my voice is a little hoarse. I can't do my usual Jerry Seinfeld, which isn't that good. But anyway, he's like, and then they had to come out with Cookie Crisp and they blew our cover. What's up with that? Like you ruined, <laughs> we, had a good, we had a good thing going and you put cookies in the title and they were all cookies. Come on. You know, and it's true. It's, yeah. it's disgusting. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It's just literally just sugar-coated carbs just mm-hmm. sprinkled in there. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah and then even like when they do like, uh, you know, if we home make French toast or something, like the syrup is not maple syrup because once again, corn syrup has been so subsidized that it's just pure junk. Like, and even maple syrup is moderate. You want moderation, but yeah, right. and you know, and that's, you pay that's out the thing. ass if you want real maple syrup, like good, yeah. like Vermont yeah. maple syrup. You're gonna pay nine dollars for it's a outrageous now. Now, let's say you don't have these corn subsidies producing all this high fructose corn syrup. Okay, maybe if that's not going on, then there's going to be more of a market for real maple syrup and people are going to be investing and that is inevitably going to bring down the price and bring them much closer. Because, yeah, you can go get uh, Aunt Jemima. Or, sorry. No, you can't. No, no, you can't. Just, that's illegal. Yeah, she got she got <laughs> she deplatformed got for God knows. Hey, real quick. Yeah. Did you guys hear they, res- they resuscitated Mr. Potato Head? Yeah, they, they castrated him. No, 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 he's back. He's they back. Changed their plan. Yeah, they reversed the plan. He's back. Oh, I think they got so much bad yeah. press. I just saw one, oh, I've only seen one local news channel source on that, so I, I hope I'm right. But uh, yeah, nobody said, wants to buy Potato Head. Yeah, yeah. it's like, dude, what, what do you do with Toy Story? Put a disclaimer in there every time, like some characters may be offensive to children or yeah. something. <laughs> but, anyways, I, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent, but uh, as we're talking about canceled brands like Aunt Jemima. Um, so, um, we might go over an hour. If that's, that's cool. If that's cool, well, this will probably be a multiple part series. And if we want to do like, um, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I was gonna say honestly, I really like trim this down. If I went down a true rabbit hole, this would be like a, a master's thesis. <laughs> yeah. It could, it could be. You could do a full ten part series on the food industry. Yeah. No, well, I think we got people fired up enough. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to keep returning, like you know, once a week, it doesn't have to be like every episode in a row, but you know, maybe like Monday or Tuesday, we'll do whatever topic we want to do, and then do like a bonus episode each week, continuing this conversation because this is some good stuff. Dude, it, it, the more research I did, the more angry I got. Well, yeah. here's here's the other thing, and I, I texted you guys about this today, and I'm trying to remember the name of what this effect is called, but Tim Pool talks about it a lot. But it's like if you read a news article on a topic that you're very well informed on, something that you're like an expert on, and you realize like, oh, my God, these journalists like don't know what they're talking about. Like, look at all these mistakes that are just riddled everywhere and they're getting they're missing the entire picture because they don't understand any of the details. And it's clear. And then you realize that they're full of shit. And then you read the next story about some foreign war or something and you just take it as gospel truth. And it's like you just established that these people are incompetent and full of shit. And they're not experts on pretty much anything they write on. They're just reporting. And then you trust them the next time you see it. And I think there's something really similar happening with the conversation we're having. It's like, just pick one thing, just look into one, uh, you know, example and and learn about some scandal or not even scandal. This Mm -hmm. is out in the open. Learn about one thing the government's done and that they've perverted and just get really knowledgeable on it. Like Tyler's doing with this, like all the research he did and you'll very quickly see that, Oh, these people have no idea what they're doing. They're just getting their palms greased on all these issues. Yeah. 
for sure. Yeah, well, it's kind of like, I'm not going to go too far off tangent, but I've just gone on the deep rabbit hole of early automotive history, um, going from the horse and carriage uh, era into, you know, internal combustion. And the whole reason the government has, you know, the monopoly on roads, um, that didn't happen by accident. Like The government wasn't like, hey, you guys make the cars and we'll do this and we'll all work as a team. No, that was like the car company saying, hey, we could sell a lot more cars if we had good roads. So they lobbied politicians and, you know, paid them off, paid their campaigns and like basically made them. They knew that if the government would do road programs, it would translate to car sales. So and then they just made a monster out of government, though. And now yeah, we got to hear about the roads forever. There's another topic that I know Tyler is also into. Uh, I, I want to do a, a series on the government's role in the early days of mixed martial arts because it is so insanely yes. perverted. So just as an example, okay, probably the greatest fighter in history, John Jones, although he's a piece of shit human. Um, there was a time when he was actually a pretty nice kid. But anyway, he has one loss on his record. He's like 20-something and one. And the reason he has one loss, even though, you know, he's dominated his entire career, he has one loss to a guy named Matt Hamill is this deaf UFC fighter. And John Jones ragdolled him around the cage and threw him around and he mounted him and he threw a bunch of elbows to end the fight, just smashing this guy. And the ref stops him uh, because the blood from Matt Hamill's nose got into his eyes. So they, they stopped it, but then they, they ruled right. Herb Dean, the ref had to, call this a disqualification loss for John Jones because he was throwing 12, six elbows, which means you're bringing your elbow straight up from the top and dropping it straight down on someone's face. And it's no more dangerous than kicking somebody in the head or hitting them with a, you know, three to six elbow, which it's they could the do same amount pride. of force, right? Which they could do in pride. But the reason that the 12, six elbow is illegal is because when they were, when they were sanctioning MMA and they had these congressional hearings where John McCain called it, it's just human cockfighting. And all this stuff. Uh, there was a lady, some congresswoman, that said that one time she saw a program on ESPN at like two in the morning where this karate man was breaking blocks of ice <laughs> with elbows like this. So she wants that out of there if we're going to let this sport be legal. I bet and that guy the UFC, sure. yeah, and the UFC was like, uh, fuck it, okay. <laughs> like they were just. <laughs> So the reason that the greatest fighter in history has a loss on his record is because some fucking woman was watching ESPN at two in the morning and thought the karate man breaking ice like, yeah, like that was too bad. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Though. Uh, government, they do some fun stuff. So government. it's, uh, it's no secret that the U S sugar industry cannot afford negative press or perception on its products. According to one of the top scholars in the field, uh, and this is funny, Marion Nestle. <laughs> I don't think there's any correlation to the scumbag company, Corporation Nestle, but uh, the Sugar Association, Corn Refiners Association, and American Beverage Association spend massive amounts of money with a single purpose, to discredit research that says sugar can be harmful to human health. In the 1960s, the scientific community, we're going to say scientific in quotations, saw a surge in studies downplaying the role of sugar consumption in heart disease. We now know it was, in fact, the Sugar Association, then called the Sugar Research Foundation, that funded biased research naming dietary fat as the culprit of heart disease. 
a researcher from the University of San Francisco unearthed docu documents proving that the Sugar Research Foundation paid scientists to do a 1967 literature review that overlooked the role of sugar in heart disease, according to The Guardian. The literature review appeared in the New England Journal of Medicine. So once again, to go with an ongoing theme of the modern world, science is fake and gay. <laughs> but uh, not before the sugar lobby reviewed and approved the draft of that research and paid three Harvard researchers the equivalent of $50,000 in today's currency for their v valuable services. So according to Marion Nestle, the sugar lobby has continued to sponsor favorable research about high sugar products. Food company sponsorship, whether or not intentionally manipulative, undermines public trust in nutrition science, Nestle explains. This contributes to public confusion about what to eat and compromises dietary guidelines in ways that are not in the best interest of public health. The Sugar Association and Corn Refiners Association are not the only ones to sponsor this convenient research. Coca-Cola, be less white, has spent millions on studies concluding that sugary sodas don't cause obesity. Because, I mean, God forbid, why would empty calories ever cause obesity? So just that little bit there on sugar helps make a lot more sense of why, like, our parents' generation was so obsessed with low-fat products. Uh, they were literally brainwashed by a bunch of government-sponsored and corporate-sponsored pseudoscience. And the government didn't do a damn thing to stop it. And in fact, they lined their pockets. So if you take a look at any low-fat product in the store, just, just look at a label. Like, like look at uh, salad dressing. If you take a low-fat salad dressing and compare it in the, the next time you're in the store to a, a regular fat salad dressing, take a look at the sugar content. I guarantee you that the sugar content in that low-fat dressing is anywhere one, two, maybe five grams higher. <clears throat> really? Yeah. Oh, guaranteed. Same with sour cream, dairy products. You mm -hmm. get low-fat sour cream, there's more sugar in it. <laughs> so what it is is, you know, because fat is flavor. It's right. it's just the way it is. It's the way it always has been. You cook with it butter. Just does. Yeah. So in order to make up for that lack of flavor in a low-fat product, they add sugar. Hmm. And then it, it's a double-edged sword because then you're getting, you know, they're yeah. – they're running quite a sweet racket, if you will. Now, once again, like when it gets to like grass-fed butter versus corn-fed, isn't isn't grass-fed not nearly as bad for you? Oh, it's so much better, and the consistency yeah. is different. It's it's yeah. gold in color, and it's it's like yeah. creamy and soft. And like I, the last time I took it, because I've been using grass-fed butter for the last like eight nine years. Yeah, which I don't know Same. if this is still the case, but it was actually illegal in Wisconsin for a while I'll have to get the specifics cause I don't want to talk mm -hmm. out of turn here, but you couldn't like the dairy lobby in Wisconsin shut down cause it was originally getting imported from Ireland. Uh, Kerry gold was the first yep. big company yep. and the, the American dairy lobby shut down, especially in Wisconsin, they were able to ban the sale of grass fed butter, which it, it again, night and day difference just in consistency. And you notice the same thing with the beef. It's just a little bit, it's just, it's, it's got a much different texture, but the, it's, yeah, the grass fed butter, yeah. Yeah. And the butter is just, it's darker in color and it's creamier. It's almost like ice cream that's been like, you know, warmed up or melted. Um, mm -hmm. And you go back to like regular butter and it just tastes gross. Whenever I have it now, I'm like, oh, this yeah. is, this you is know different. Worse? 
margarine. Oh my god. Oh man. I, I can't believe that even... persisted. I can't believe. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've ever had margarine. So I, our parents never stocked it, and I've never bought it. So poison. It's literally poison. Yeah, yeah it's like I mean, the I, aspartame of dairy. I love cooking, and like it's weird that people have that stigma around butter now. But like, if I'm making like a spaghetti sauce, Paula or, Dean uh, was right. <laughs> Oh, about what? <laughs> about butter. Okay. About, about a lot. Ooh. I you go about what you got canceled for. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, oh, I forgot. I didn't say a lot because of that. I didn't even think about that. It's just like <laughs> caught me off guard there. Come on, Tyler. The show's still young. Don't get us kicked off. Um, but uh, you know, like I'll throw like you know, like you know half a stick of uh, of grass fed butter into whatever like pasta sauce I'm making, and my wife always just like gets blown away. Like, oh, we're gonna get a heart attack, and I'm like. This is grass fed. It's not. Like, yeah. It's the stigma, though. It's just butter is bad. That's what we were told, you know. I tell you oh, what. I, I started cooking with like, I I started cooking with almost exclusively like avocado oil or olive oil or grass fed butter, and like I started losing weight. Mm-hmm. Like instead of using whatever like scummy margarine or like nonstick spray, I still use a little nonstick because you know it, you might need it here or there, but. The, I started yeah. using like those those full fat like products like good quality though started losing weight. Yeah, the amount of um, like olive oil we go through in this house is preposterous, but uh, it's, you know it's also once again the good fats. And I'm a big proponent of just just listen to your body. Like you know, if you eat a McDonald's burger, you feel like garbage and hate life 20 minutes after. If you True. eat a grass fed steak with with a side of vegetables, you could go for a jog 40 minutes later. Like yeah. you're still, you have energy. Like, so this whole thing about like, what should we eat? It's like, I kind of tune it out and listen to my body and then listen to people that know what they're talking about. Right. But just like, you know, like when you drink a Coca-Cola, you feel like shit. Like I, 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 I've, it is a bit of a, like eating, eating well and taking the time to do research. It is a bit of a rich man's game. You know, yeah. they, it, it's weird. Cause like back in the day, like being, being obese was like a sign of wealth. Mm-hmm. And like, if you look at like what people get on food stamps, like it's garbage. Oh yeah, you want them big old farm girls? I mean, get some money. <laughs> Stay on girl bees, some Harry Pitts. Mm, that was a look back in the day. So, you know, like the thing about like like sugar and high fructose corn syrup is that they actually lead to fat storage in your liver, and that it's followed with insulin resistance, which increases insulin secretion, promoting tumor growth. And that is a vital, the vital role of insulin in our system is if you produce too much or too little, you could end up with cancer, diabetes, heart disease, or fatty liver disease. So to conclude what I, what I dug up on sugar is that it's slowly, it's slowly poisoning us. And, and not only is it poisoning us, but it's also the, the food source for cancer um, in a lot of cases. So um, you know, I, I did pull up some, some little factoids from oddly enough from the department of health and human services. So I guess we can take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> Tyler, should I trust the government? Yeah. But, uh, well, I love that the government does all these studies about like, Hey, you guys are fat and going to die, but they're the ones causing it. So mm-hmm. I guess that helps sleep at night, you know, I guess <laughs> they have a conscience. Um, but these are, these are pretty wild. These, these are mind blowing. So the typical American diet exceeds the recommended intake 
levels or limits in four categories, cal cal uh, calories from solid fats and added sugars, refined grains, sodium, and saturated fat. Um, about 90% of Americans eat more sodium than is recommended for a healthy diet. And I, I will add the caveat that I don't really monitor. I don't over salt food, but I don't monitor my sodium intake. Mm -hmm. um, I think as long as you're working out, you can, you're probably okay. Um, so reducing the amount of sodium Americans eat by 1200 milligrams per day could save up to $20 billion a year in medical costs. Um, the per capita, the U.S. per capita consumption of total fat increased from approximately 57 pounds in 1980 to 78 pounds in 2009, with the highest consumption being 85 pounds in 2005. Don't know what, don't know what caused the spike in 2005. They didn't say. Um, empty calories from added sugars and solid fats contribute to 40% of total, total daily calories for two to 18 year olds. And half of these empty calories come from six sources, soda, fruit drinks, dairy desserts, grain desserts, pizza, or whole milk. So, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about before the, the young ones are just getting, you know, they're eating just pure junk. Right. Food available for consumption increased in all major food categories from 1970 to 2008. Average daily calories per person in the marketplace increased approximately 600 calories. And then since the 1970s, the number of fast food restaurants has more than doubled. And as we witnessed in 2020 and continuing to 2021, those fast food restaurants seem to be here to stay. But any small smoothie spot that you may be able to find that's local is probably shut down. So heart disease, cancer, and diabetes all routinely rank in the top 10 causes of death for Americans. And in many cases, the food we consume is a big factor in that. So our food is literally stabbing us in the back and the government is making it a point to twist the knife. And what's the most sad statistic that I had read during my research was that according to the CDC, which once again, we're going to take it with a grain of salt here because it's this fucking CDC, but uh, the prevalence of ob obesity in children was 18.5%. About 13.7 million children and adolescents are obese. So that means that damn near one in five kids in America are overweight. And you could just take a go to go to shopping mall, go anywhere where there's a big public space and you'll see it. And it's the yeah. saddest thing. Yeah, it's very sad. So now to end, uh, end this on a more positive note is uh, what you can do about it. So I guess, you know, myself, I, I used to be kind of like a just work out and buy vegetables. It's not that hard kind of guy, but. I will say that personal responsibility and personal choice is definitely still a major part of this, but it's kind of hard when you're marketed stuff that's like good for you. For example, I, I have here a box of Annie's organic classic cheddar macaroni and cheese. So it's organic, right? So it's gotta be good for you, but it says the best ingredients, organic pasta, organic wheat flour. So there we go with wheat. Whey, cultured cream, non-fat milk, salt, butter, 
dried cheddar cheese, which is pasteurized milk, salt, non-animal enzymes. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you know, cornstarch, citric acid, annatto extract for color, lactic acid, sunflower lectin. Le- le- I don't even know how to say it. That's how poisonous it is. Sodium phosphate and silicon dioxide for anti-caking. So that's that's a pretty mild uh, that's a pretty mild ingredients list. I, I was gonna go pick up a Twinkie, but I didn't stop at the gas station. So, <laughs> but if Twinkies can survive a nuclear holocaust, you're you're good to go. I I honestly can say I don't believe I've ever eaten a Twinkie in my life. I think I did as a kid, but I didn't like it. I, it tasted gross. My dad it was kind of a, uh, a food Nazi, which I'm grateful for now. But he would not let like junk food in our house. Like I mean, it happened once in a while, but we never had pop around. Like it was just we ate vegetables and like home cooked meals. I had a stay at home mom. We had five kids, and yeah, my dad like did not like junk food. So and I'm grateful now. When I was a kid, it was like not fair. I go to my friend's house and they have like high C and fruit punch and just you know all these like just delicious colorful cereals I'd never even experienced. And then um, it felt like I was doing something really dirty when I came home. I had to be like, yeah, I, I crunch over there. I was a really picky eater as a kid. So I had to reverse a lot of bad habits over the years. You know, my dad was always good. We always had some vegetables and he liked to cook. So, mm-hmm. but like I, you know, my brother and I were pop junkies as kids. Like whenever we'd go somewhere, we'd always want pop or, but I, I rarely drink it now. I may have the occasional one with a mixed drink or something, but no. Yeah. I'm, and fun. just like, just like you prefaced I'm the same way. I'm not, I'm not like a health nut, but I'm very health conscious. Right. Like I, I try not to go out of my way to eat garbage. And I try, I try to, I love cooking. I mean, that's one of my biggest hobbies oh, yeah. having kids. Like it's my, it's my only thing I can do that. I love that everyone benefits from like my car hobby, playing guitar, all that shit's taking a back seat for a while, but cooking, I get to do every day. Oh, and so it's I, just, it's like solving a problem. You get to, yeah. and I like to take dishes that I like or like a comfort food and find ways to make it a lot better for me mm-hmm. and incorporate more vegetables in it. It gets to be fun once you get the hang of it. Oh yeah. It's like anything else. The learning curve is, is a blast, but, but like, uh, you know, like I, I, so like a gentleman, Jack Spearco gave the advice the first thing you, you should do if you have the space and means to do so is grow a garden. I, I don't know if there's a more libertarian thing to do than grow a garden. Like it's, right. it's literally the first step to freedom, I think, is, is leaving as best you can some of these systems and just, you know, take the agorist approach, just kind of slowly drain them. Yeah, so, and you know, it's kind of like if you do have a garden you're, you're going to naturally become a pretty decent cook because you're going to try to figure out what to do and you're going to want to change it up once you have all these excess vegetables. Yeah. Uh, like when I, when I got my first half cow, I had all these cuts of beef I've never cooked before. So I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, this arm roast, you know? And um, I would just go on YouTube and punch in like arm roast. And then also like a bunch of these like barbecue gurus would be showing you world-class training on how yeah. to cr- like correctly smoke this roast and how to season it. And then you just get addicted to this new hobby you didn't even know you needed. And it's so uh, awesome. yeah, it's the same thing with, with vegetables. Like you're going to have a, you know, a surplus of zucchini and be like, okay, they're delicious when you fry them up in olive oil, but what else can I do with it? Because I'm yeah. tired of doing that every time I cook a zucchini and also you become as a byproduct, a really good cook because you have that garden. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you learn by, it's almost necessity. Cause you don't want like mm-hmm. all this stuff that you just worked all hard, you know, hard over the summer to grow to just spoil. Right. So yeah, it's, and then that can lead into, you know, cooking, it could lead into fermenting, you know, fermenting, canning, doing all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, Absolutely. 
you know, another thing you could do is get your eggs from local farms or like a farmer's market and get your, Mm -hmm. or if you can't grow a garden, you know, get your produce from a farmer's market. And, you know, I've found that a lot of times when you converse with these people at farmer's markets, like if you're looking for something specific, that's not there, a lot of times there's a network of people that'd be like, Oh yeah, you know, my neighbor does this or, you know, he can get you this. And, you know, obviously the government set it up. So it's illegal to just, for a farmer to take their their cattle or pigs or whatever to a local butcher and just say, hey, cut this up and let's sell it. You can't do yeah. that. You meet a guy who grows tomatoes. He's like, oh, yeah, my neighbor grows broccoli. And, you know, this guy repacks yeah. bullets. And this guy, you know, knows how to weld really good. And all of a sudden you yeah. have this whole <laughs> and that's, resource. That's of decentralized systems are, are the, the key to freedom and your well-being. For sure. So, you know. And if, you know, if you have the means to do so, hunting is also another good means to acquire meat. I mean, that's, that's as free range as it gets. You know, you look at the nutritional value of like elk and venison and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's a natural diet. Right. You know, you do get a little corn fed deer in the Midwest. They like to snack on that stuff, but it's still better for you than just a cow that sat in a cage. And Right. It's not a sedentary animal. It's like an right. athlete and, you know, that yeah. means much leaner. So, um, you know, another thing is get the word out on grass fed meat, uh, especially the type that comes from like regenerative farms, which is also good for the environment. So it's, it's, it's a win-win there. It is, a, you do pay a little bit more of a premium for it. So I, you know, for people that are a little strapped on cash, I understand not being able to pursue that, but if, if you can afford it and swing it, it's good. You know, we've talked about grass fed beef several times already, you know, it's, it's good stuff. It's good for you. Um, and try, you know, cage free chickens, try to buddy up with some local farmers. You'd, you'd be surprised if you can, you can get raw milk. I heard raw milk's way better for you. I've only had it once. It was, you, they, they could sell it in Arizona and it was, it was good. It's a little different, but it's good. Um, you know, buy organic when you can, but as I had mentioned from the ingredients list on this box of macaroni and cheese, you know, be wary that organic does not always mean better for you. So you know, still pay attention to what's in stuff. I think. No, it's a, uh, it's a marketing tool it's to say organic. It means organic, healthy. Right. It's good for me. Yeah. And, you know, just follow some common sense when you're buying your food, you know, generally speaking, the less ingredients in something, the better. If it, if it sounds like it, it was made, like it, it comes in a chemistry set, it's probably not good for you. <laughs> you know, and you'd be surprised. Like even like, you know, a lot of fitness people are really into supplements. Like you'd be shocked at what, some of these protein powders have in them, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's just good, good practice to get into. And then the last thing I put on here for things you can do is just try to stay active. Um, you know, like doing as little as 30 minutes every day or 30 minutes every other day does wonders for your mental health and physical health. Um, and obviously this isn't like, I didn't want to come across as like elitist, like, oh, just go get a gym membership and a personal trainer and get after it. Like, you know, you can, it takes a little bit more discipline, but there's stuff you can do at home or, you know, get out and go running. If you, if the weather's nice or if you don't mind the cold, I guess running's always free. Or you could just do what I did and, you know, make your wife pop out a litter of kids and they'll just keep you on your feet for like the next eight years. Right. Right. And then you yeah. like, then you can tie that into getting good at cooking and feeding them. Good food. <laughs> I'm just, so, I don't you know, and you get a very regimented wake up time every day. Six thirty is the latest you're sleeping into for the, until, uh, for the next 10 years, probably. So. And it gets you early to bed, early rise. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so what well, cool title read about hour 20 here it's a little ran a little long but um yeah, yeah i definitely want to pick up some more of this uh conversation because it's there's a lot more to unpack oh but, um, yeah like i said i i really trimmed it back i i wanted to just kind of tie in the uh the how government is screwing you over on your food too because i think it's mm. an often overlooked topic um i've seen it's starting to come up more though so i think that the awakening is coming yeah no it's 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 just one more red pill someone's everyone's got to find their first red pill and yep. uh this could be uh you know for a lot of people it's kind of just i mean it's self-evident <laughs> yeah just you can look at what's happened in the history of it and if it makes dollars, it makes sense. So when you look at all these big companies funding these campaigns, it's like, yeah, they, of course they're looking out for each other and they're funding scientists to, uh, you know, give them grants to do these studies and they, they, they want the results they, they're going to pay for, yep. you know, but, yeah, man. but cool. Uh, we lost yeah. Nick from a technical difficulty, but, uh, yeah, Nick's still using dial up internet. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, you guys, please, if you like the show, please head over to iTunes, uh, rate and review the show. Give us some ideas what you want to hear. Um, you can shoot Nick an email at nickpulse to the wall at gmail.com. I'm still using my email from my former, you know, the podcast before we renamed this one. So it's the Mike Paulcast at Gmail. Um, and then Tyler on Twitter at Schlitz underscore beer, of course. Yeah. And like I said, mentioned earlier in the in the episode, uh, special thanks to uh, ammo.com and for their incredible amount of research, which was a tremendous help for me. And, uh, and Hannah Cox on the base podcast, that was, that was very insightful and kind of helped steer me in the way I wanted to go with my research. Hell yeah. So, all right, man. Cool. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon.